You're listening to the Aim to Win podcast. I'm Wade Thomas, and I believe that every one of you has a wealth of potential just waiting to come out. And I'm here to help you reach that potential. So now, here's the Aim to Win podcast. Welcome to the Aim to Win podcast. I'm Wade Thomas, and today I'm delighted to have Lindsay Lawless, the founder of Lawless Balance, whose mission is to educate and support women to create a powerful, confident, and secure relationship, money, and cash flow. So welcome to the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. So what we normally do in a podcast is to help the audience get to know you is I just ask you to kind of tell your story, where you came from, where you've been, how you got there, and where you're going. Totally. Um, so let's see a little bit about me, my background. Uh, I'm actually in Chicago right now. I live in New York. However, um, I went to school in Chicago. I went to DePaul University. It's kind of where my finance and accounting background began. Uh, I went to business school, majored in accounting, minored in finance, uh, worked in corporate accounting for a little bit. Uh, eventually made my way over to New York, uh, started working in more boutique accounting firms, serving a lot of high-end clients, um, high net worth individuals and families and businesses. Uh, and it was a lot of people who wanted things done for them. They wanted to pay someone to just kind of do all the work on the back end so they didn't really have to think about it or mess with the details and they could just essentially continue to spend large amounts of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't really want to like learn or grow or like learn to invest or learn how to like overcome emotional spending. It wasn't really so much about empowerment. It was really just like management. Um, so it was fun. It got my kind of toes wet in terms of client acquisition and business development, which was really kind of invigorating for me. I was really excited about. Um, and I also had a side business at the time. So I ran a boss woman community, which was kind of like my passion project. It wasn't like super lucrative, but it was something that i had been doing with one of my friends for years. Uh, and was like a really key area where we were connecting with other, you know, fellow boss women, um, who were ambitious women in the professional space who were looking to develop themselves professionally and personally. Um, we connected on a lot of different pillars, fitness, uh, health, spirituality, and obviously business career, all of that kind of stuff. And through developing that, it kind of like gave me this essentially idea of like entrepreneurship and the idea of like, this is what running a business looks like. Uh, so once I had spent a few years in corporate, I decided that due to kind of like a disconnection and vision between me and one of the people in leadership, um, I decided that I was just going to branch out on my own and continue to do the same kind of work and service clients in my own capacity. Um, so. I started my own business a few years ago. Uh, originally, I started an accounting firm. So it wasn't only women that I was helping at first. It kind of developed over time because of just my personal story. Uh, but essentially, you know, I started doing a lot of accounting and CFO and bookkeeping work to small businesses and solo entrepreneurs. Uh, and some people that were doing some fundraising for like Series A for... Uh, in case you guys are like, what the heck is Series A? If you're listening, essentially, um, it's... Uh, fundraising that you're doing during like stages of raising capital. So say that you have a startup or a new business idea and you need to raise additional capital. For example, one of my clients was raising 30 million in series A funding for a co-working space in New York. Um, obviously there, you know, it's a challenging time right now for co-working spaces. Uh, but nonetheless, if there are more of the brick and mortar people listening, obviously that's kind of ties into some of the work that I was doing during that time. Uh, and over a couple of years, I just realized, you know, like I branched out on my own to do work where I could really empower other people. Um, but I was getting stuck in the similar rut of a lot of done for you services. So I started to really just like expand on coaching and learn more and more about coaching and consulting, uh, get certifications and trainings for myself to just feel more qualified in that space. Um, and as I went on that journey and started hiring my own coaches and consultants to really help me grow my business and my brand, uh, I just had some really amazing insights and wisdom shared with me along the way, both, you know, on more of like a divine intuitive level, but also pragmatically through, you know, key mentors and coaches and people in my life, uh, that really guided me 
to not only coaching full time, but ultimately to writing a best selling book that ended up turning into like a framework that I've used to help hundreds of women transform their relationship with money. Um, so that's a little bit about me in terms of like how I got, you know, kind of where I am today. Um, today I service mostly women, but I work with, you know, all kinds of people, a lot of couples too. A lot of times it's like, you know, really prestigious women who are either breadwinners who, who, or who are, you know, comparably earning with their partner and then they're ready to integrate their finances, but they've like never thought about co-mingling their finances. So that does come into play as well. Um, and then obviously a lot of stuff on the business side, but it also relates to personal finance. So especially as, you know, a solo entrepreneur or a business owner, I think we can all understand and relate to the reality that your business finances and your personal finances are often intertwined. Um, obviously if you don't have money coming in the business, it's going to put a strain on your personal finances. And then same thing the other way around. Like sometimes you have money coming in the business, but it's just a cash flow issue and you start to struggle financially because you thought about revenue and profits and accounts receivable, but you didn't think about cash in hand. Um, so there's a lot of variables that come into play. Um, but that's just, like I said, some of the work that I do with clients now where I'm really actually helping to empower and educate them around how to get their money working for them, uh, both in terms of personal finance and then ultimately through their business finances so that they can create additional streams of income, build out passive income streams, um, and really create sustainable wealth, not just like this whole like kind of get rich quick model that I'm sure that you um, in doing what you do have come across and probably are not a huge fan of either. <laughs> Got that right. You know, yeah. I mean, if you could get rich quick, that's fine. But, uh, yeah. you know, to have that as your core life strategy is, you know, usually leads to disappointment. Totally. Yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit though. So in the absence sure. of getting rich quick, what advice do you have for, um, for entrepreneurs as they, as they start and as they're growing and scaling their business? What kinds totally. of things do you see? Um, so when you're starting your business, you know, this is partly accounting, but it's also partly legal, um, but it's relevant, which is like setting up your business entity. So deciding whether you want to have an LLC or a sole proprietorship or um, a corporation, S Corp, C Corp, uh, that's going to be really key because it's going to affect how you're taxed. It's also going to affect like what you're responsible for, like financial information that you're res- responsible for keeping essentially. So um, if you're making less than $75,000 a year, I recommend either doing a sole prop partnership or an LLC. Uh, if you're making more than 75,000 a year, it might make more sense for you to do a C corp or an S corp election. Um, fun fact, S corp is actually not an entity type. It is just an election. So you're actually a C corp or an LLC. Then you elect. I won't get too into detail cause I don't want to lose you guys <laughs> put you to sleep, but essentially you have to elect through a specific form, um, that you get from the government that you want to elect as an S corp. And you can do that at any time. It's better if you do it in the beginning of your business, but it's not a requirement. Um, but essentially you'll get certain tax benefits and savings from that. Uh, but you need to be making about more than 7,500 K because you will have to do a separate tax return, which is going to cost you about 800 to a thousand dollars a year, depending on who you get it done from. So it's just something to think about. Once you have that amount of income coming in the business, you can set up an escort, put yourself on payroll, start putting money away for retirement, get a lot of tax benefits. Um, but again, if you're not hitting that 75 K to hundred point, it doesn't make sense yet. So you can wait on it and you can always do it later. Uh, that's kind of the basics. Um, another really key thing in the beginning is separating your personal and business finances. It's going to set you up for so much success later. If you just separate it from the beginning, so many people wait like a year or two into their business. And then they're like, ah, I need to like set up records, but I have no idea what's happening. Like I just use my personal card for my business expenses. Like maybe I have a business account, but like, I don't really separate it properly. And I just buy stuff for the business all the time on personal. And then I buy my personal groceries with my business card, like just crazy wonky stuff. You're just setting yourself up for more work later. So essentially like that separation of business and personal finances is really key. I highly recommend getting serious and setting up a business banking account. Um, you'll 
probably, depending on the bank that you're going to, you'll probably need like basic business formation documents, either from when you filed your E for your EIN federally or whatever you filed with your bus- for your business with your individual state, because that varies. I won't speak to that because that's a long conversation about 50 different <laughs> laws. <laughs> um, but essentially just, you know, you can Google it pretty easily. Um, whenever you actually file the paperwork, my recommendation is if you can't afford an attorney and you're not ready to make a big investment in having a lawyer look at it, you can do it yourself, but just make sure you're doing it through a .gov website because there's a lot of like places on Google who just are third party who want to take advantage and like make a bunch of money off of you. Um, LegalZoom and many others. Uh, essentially, that'll be like, oh, click here to start your business or do your formation documents. And then you get to the end and it's like 300 but if you do it through the gov it's free free let's put a caveat on that depending on where you live federally it's free it's free to get an EIN um state it depends so some states are free some states have small fees 25 50 75 um if you live in the lovely state of New York such as myself or California perhaps they're pretty expensive um the fees are a little more upwards of 250 to 300 dollars to start your business, but it's a one-time fee. So you pay it once, you get registered. And then after that, I pay $25 annually to keep my LLC registered. Uh, so it's pretty straightforward. Um, if you're not comfortable with all of that stuff and you don't want to remember that and you're like, just gives you anxiety, you know, you can have your accountant support you with that. It's not something that you necessarily have to do. Um, it's definitely good to have an accountant. So I don't do that kind of work anymore. When I was in corporate, I did do tax returns and, you know, certain elements of like tax advice and estate planning. Um, however, you know, now I, I leave that to the professionals. It's constantly changing. The tax code and the tax laws change every single year. And with every new president that comes in, we get a total overhaul typically. Um, so it just makes sense to work with someone who's really has the pulse on what's happening year by year um, with the IRS. Cause there's just so many changes. Um, especially right now, there's going to be a lot of incentivization and stuff that's coming up that we haven't really seen yet. That's going to be affecting you know, our taxes for the better, <laughs> hopefully, um, just for economic stimulation, essentially, because we're going to be in more of a time of recession for a while with everything going on with COVID. And then obviously we've seen extensions and stuff like that. Um, but that's kind of just general like starter information. We can obviously talk higher level if you want to talk a little bit more to some of the more established business owners about how they can optimize their finances. But that's definitely some of the key information when you're starting out that you need to take into consideration because you'll just save yourself so much time and energy later and money ultimately. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, talk about the more established businesses as well. Like, you know, the ones that are uh, okay. they're getting ready to scale or they have scaled and maybe they need more capital or sure. maybe they're not maximizing what they could be. Totally. So one key thing, this is like for beginners and for moderate level is like, make sure you're setting aside money for taxes proactively. Don't be this reactive person who just like waits till you get hit with the tax bill so that you can like freak out. You should be, it depends on your exact business, what your profit margin is, what your costs normally are. But in general, I would be putting aside 20 to 30% for taxes. It can be less than 20 if you have a lot of costs because your net income is going to be reduced. A key, like essentially simple, simple terms, um, top line income is going to be revenue. Then you have your costs. That's going to give you your profit margin or your kind of like your gross numbers. And then um, once you take out any overhead, then you have what's considered your net income, which is or taxable income. There's a couple of variations, but I'm not going to get super technical here. It's just not worth it. Um, you'll we'll lose more than you gain in that process, essentially. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but the idea is your net income is essentially your taxable income. So you don't actually pay taxes on your revenue. You pay taxes on your profit, if that makes sense. So essentially, if you have a ton of costs and a lot of overhead in your business, so businesses like construction, for example, people that retail businesses that hold a lot of inventory could be an example of a business that has more costs where they're going to pay less in tax. Um, but essentially, generally speaking, if you're putting away 20, 25%, you should be in a good spot. If you have like no costs and you're a coach or a consultant in the online space and you just have a really low overhead and you don't have a team and it's just you, you work out of your home and it's just really straightforward, then you may want to be putting aside more if your income's high because you might be closer to that 30% number. Um, but that's something that's important on both ends of the spectrum. 
other things that are good once you're at more of a moderate level or you're looking to kind of like just expand and grow your business. Um, if you're in a capital raising stage, then obviously it's going to come down to a couple of factors, but predominantly the pitch deck. Pitch deck's key. You want to have a really solid pitch deck. Not only do you want to be sharing. So typically people do one or the other with the pitch deck. Either one, it's like super amazingly designed and ergonomic and like so beautiful that you're just like drooling. Um, And you're just like encapsulated by like the design and the aesthetic and like kind of the tech of it. Or it's super, super technical with like number details, but it's hideous. So typically it's one or the other with the pitch deck, but you really want to hit that sweet spot in the middle. You want it to be aesthetically appealing. You want it to be easy on the eyes, good to look at, simple design, but you also want to know your numbers. That's going to be key. Knowing your numbers is way more important. Like, yes, market research is important, knowing how viable something's going to be in the market and what the coding laws are and how many people are interested in this great new industry and topic. But at the end of the day, if you don't know your numbers, then it's going to show to investors. So you don't have to have every single thing memorized. You can definitely reference people that are on your team. So for example, your accountant or your CFO or your financial advisor or whatever, if you want to say, Hey, you know, I'm not sure exactly what that looks like, but I know my team can get those numbers for you. Let me get back to you. That's totally fine. Don't feel like you have to answer on the spot. You'd rather tell them, direct them to someone else and give them the right answer than say something off the top that's wrong because that's going to look worse. Um, so that's kind of my initial, a lot of people are just scared that like, I have to know everything. And if I say one thing wrong, then I'm going to lose this investor. And it becomes this like life or death for every single investment opportunity. But ultimately, like you're going to go through tons of investors. Some are going to pan out, some are not going to pan out. Um, and ultimately every opportunity is a learning lesson. So definitely like I recommend if people don't invest, you know, like go back to them, ask them for feedback. Like what can we have done better? How can we hone on this pitch? what do you really like about it? What needed to grow? Don't be afraid to ask for feedback and be able to handle and receive that feedback because that's what's really going to help you grow into, you know, better entrepreneur and a better business model ultimately. Um, but also, like I said, like, some people it's going to be, every investor is different. Some investors come in and they want to know your energy. They just want to know like, what's your personality? How tenacious are you? Are you driven? Um, are you going to be successful? And they gauge your successful likelihood based on your temperament or your personality. Like how, can, how passionate is this person essentially? And how far are they going to drive this thing? Some people on the other hand are like, no, like I'm all about the numbers. I just want to see what your financials are. Show me your projections. Show me that you can prove that this is going to be profitable and viable. And like, I'm down. Um, and then other investors, they are making a decision that's not actually just them alone. They're actually making a decision on behalf of like a larger kind of venture capital group or fund. Um, and that is a variable. <laughs> Sometimes they're into it and they take it back to their team or the investors and they're like, oh, we don't really like this and this. And you don't really necessarily get to like defend yourself, quote unquote, because they're a middleman. Um, so there's, it's just, there's a lot of different situations that play out. So rather than trying to like perfect the equation, just be authentic, do your research, build out your financials and like show up prepared for anything and just be honest, be honest and be vulnerable and say like, Hey, that's such a great question. Um, I would love to know the answer to that. Let me get back to you on that. And don't be afraid to direct people that way. So what's the biggest mistake you see with a pitch deck? Um, the biggest mistake that I see with the pitch deck, like I mentioned, is either it's only pretty and there's no facts backing it and research and yeah. numbers, or it's all about the numbers and it's not aesthetically appealing. Um, another thing is, it's really good to have a team. So what I mean by that is like a lot of times it's like one person and this one person creates the pitch deck, reviews the pitch deck, puts the financials together and then actually communicates it to someone. Um, and in that process, it's more likely than not that there's one of those areas that you're not an expert at. Because yeah. oftentimes we try to be a jack of all trades as entrepreneurs, which can be valuable. It can be valuable to rub your sleeves and figure stuff out, but it also can be valuable to outsource and hire the key people that you need. 
So essentially, like rather than doing it all on your own, whether you want to have a partner who is helping you pitch, so it could be like another personality that's bouncing off of you, that's a contrast to your personality so that you guys can connect with a more wider audience of investors. Um, It might also be that you have a financial team, whether that's an accountant or a CFO or whatever that looks like a financial consultant who's actually supporting you and like building out the projections and building out the financial documents, tracking the accounting. Um, uh, and a lot of times again, accountants will help you support with this too. Uh, depends on the accountant themselves. If this is something that they're open to doing at their agency or team. Um, but yeah, essentially like once you have the key pieces in place up front, you're going to be set up for success. So there's so many times that people are like, Oh, I can't do that because I can't afford it because I need the capital first. But if you're not willing to make an investment and put in some of your own money, that's another, you asked what the biggest area, that's probably another biggest one. People yeah. will be like, I put $5,000 in this. Like, what do you mean? I didn't put my money into it. I'm like, you're asking them for 50,000. <laughs> that's not skin in the game. You need skin in the game. And to have skin in the game, you need to be putting forth your own capital. So whether that looks like your own hard earned money that you've been saving and pouring into the business, whether that looks like a personal loan that you take out to fund the business, you peep investors want to see that you have capital invested. They want to see that you have skin in the game and that you have something on the line. Because if you don't, then you're just playing with other people's money. It's not as serious to you. <clears throat> Yeah, it, that, that's very true. And, um, you know, you mentioned the, the concept of team and, mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, the pitch process, but sure. taking a step, you know, I'm a big proponent of having that team and, you know, not a team of employees necessarily, but a team of, you know, advisors and Trust people. advisors, absolutely. So, you know, if you're looking at maybe an earlier stage business, um, through like a medium stage or a final stage, what type of people do you think should be on a team? You mm-hmm. mentioned a couple. Sure. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, you know, an accountant and an attorney are key. Those are key. Um, attorneys obviously going to cover you on the legal end. They're going to help you review contracts. They're going to make sure that your contracts with upcoming clients are taking all things into consideration and that you're properly protected. Things like intellectual property, um, whether that's you wrote a book or you have a proprietary framework that you work with your clients, whatever that looks like, but getting that trademarked, copyrighted, whatever that depends on, you know, the structure of what you're offering. If it's, um, a physical asset or if it's more like intrinsic intellectual property. Um, but essentially, yeah, like attorney's key accountant's key, especially as it comes to a tax professional. Um, I'll be honest, someone in my position, such as a financial consultant, it's important to have at some point, but it's not like a, you don't constantly need that fixture. Like you don't have to constantly be working with a financial coach 24 seven month after month in your business to stay on top of it. But I do recommend like at some point in time, either in the beginning when you want to front load the work or maybe a few years in when you want to up level, when you're going back and just, you know, optimizing essentially and fine tuning. Um, It is helpful to work with a financial consultant who can really just like help you find those little holes where you might be leaking costs or leaking income Um, and ways to just grow different lines of business, different ways to track your income. Maybe there's like a a system error in the way that you're doing your finances that are actually creating like financial errors and your financials aren't even accurate, but you didn't know that because you're not a professional. So there's benefits to it, but it's not a must have. It's a nice to have. Um, and I say that, you know, being totally transparent, obviously like <laughs> by, if clients were listening to this right now, I'm not saying like go break up with your financial coach or consultant. Uh, however, I am saying just, you know, be mindful, be, be, responsible about it. That's the best way to put it. Like you don't have to do it right away to be financially successful, but it is something that's going to help. And whether you want to front load that in the beginning to set yourself up for success or whether you want to do that later, it's a good idea. And then same thing on the business side, like financial consultants are, you know, just as crucial or as primary of an asset as like a business coach or a consultant in the way that they're really helping you create structures and systematize and onboard and build team members and expand 
your business model ultimately and scale. Um, so systems and structures are key. And a lot of times attorneys and accountants are not actually getting in your business and helping you with systems and structures, which can become very burdensome, especially if we want to talk about like exit strategy or like selling the business. Um, because if we can't hand it to someone else and then run it the next day, then we're not ready. So, and essentially a lot of business owners don't realize how much stuff lives up in their head and how much it does not live on paper. (laughs) So they have to start getting it out of their brains and onto paper and documented properly so that other people can do things for them and they can really offload and outsource because that's going to be key to scalability. Good. Excellent. So you have a book. I do. Yeah. Talk about the book a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So I have a book, Heal Money, Trauma, and Create Sustainable Wealth. Uh, I know that's a mouthful. Uh, For those of you guys that are like, what the heck is money trauma? (laughs) I'm intrigued. Um, It's just a really fancy way of saying that like we all have our own money stories and money story is a culmination of our beliefs and ideals around money, um, a lot of which are not our own. What I mean by that is, you know, we inherit them from our parents. We inherit them from our siblings, our peers, grandparents, significant others, whatever that looks like. Um, anyone who really conditioned or impacted or influenced us, especially in those crucial years of zero to seven, when we're kind of forming the subconscious mind, but it happens throughout life. Society is, you know, constantly conditioning us. Um, and it's essentially, it's not a matter of like what, how you were conditioned, although that's important and we will assess it. It's ultimately, where do you want to go and how can we shift you into that position? Um, so of course we need to do an assessment of where you are now to understand how to solve that equation. Um, and a lot of that work is around, uh, which I really kind of go through and exercises in the book in detail. Uh, so I definitely recommend checking it out. Uh, if you don't want to wait on the three weeks for Amazon shipping right now, there's also an ebook, just a heads up. <laughs> um, but yeah, definitely check it out on Amazon. Like I said, there's not an audiobook yet. I've had three requests though in the last six months, so it might be coming soon. <laughs> if people keep asking for it, then I'll make it happen. I feel like I need more than three people though to record like a 10 hour <laughs> talk, like talk over. <laughs> so yeah, if five more people will request it from this podcast, then maybe we'll talk about it. But um, <laughs> essentially, like we go through the money story in intimate detail, and that's going to be first getting an understanding of where you're at now. So what were the common themes that you heard growing up around money? So a lot of times things like, oh, we can't afford that, or money doesn't grow on trees comes up. There's also things on the other end of the spectrum. People think that, oh, wealthy people, like they have all this money and they just live this luxurious lifestyle. But the reality is like they experience scarcity and anxiety and fear just the same as, you know, people without a ton of money, sometimes more because they're terrified that the wealth's going to be taken from them because they have so many obligations because their mortgage is five times more expensive and they have three car payments or whatever that looks like. They have this huge obstacle of cash flow where they have to be generating constantly massive amounts of income to afford this lifestyle. Um, so a lot of scarcity comes up for that too, where they're afraid that they're either going to have it taken from them or lose everything overnight or, you know, whatever's going to happen. So like I said, what I've noticed um, throughout the course of working with people just from all walks of life is really this idea of scarcity and how there's certain lies or myths of scarcity. Um, And if you've ever heard of Lynn Twist, she has a book called Soul of Money where she goes into this in a lot of detail. She's actually a fundraiser for nonprofits, but she's fundraised billions of dollars in her like 30 year career. Um, And she really talks about, again, like having experiences on both ends of the spectrum. Because when you work for a nonprofit, you have people that are giving $5 and that's everything they have. And you have people that are giving 5 million and that's a drop in the bucket to them. Um, So of course, you know, navigating that spectrum and working in fundraising, she's worked with all kinds of people all kind of along this, you know, journey. And essentially she talks about the idea that um, these lies of scarcity uh, include more is more is better there's never enough. And that's just the way it is. And there's nothing I can do about it. And if we operate from these myths or these lies, then it's easy to kind of get ourselves stuck in this kind of like rat race or this like, like, 
don't know if I'd say pendulum swing, like feedback loop. That's probably a good word. Um, we kind of get stuck in a feedback loop where we're like constantly striving and chasing and looking to like fill this hole or this void um, to keep us spending, which without going on like an entire rant about <laughs> the uh, corporate culture combined with just capitalism and all of those things, which ultimately I am a proponent for. Uh, but personal belief system, I think anything in isolation becomes dangerous. So just capitalism is dangerous just as much as just socialism is dangerous. I think a nice hybrid blend is a healthy place yeah. to be. <laughs> we need to have a little bit of socialism and care about people and, you know, be decent human beings and be operating from a heart-centered place. But we also need to, you know, like build businesses and think about private personal enterprise and to have the opportunity to kind of like, you know, build the American dream, whatever that means in this day and age. I get that that's an evolving target um, at this point, um, but ultimately to have the freedom and the flexibility to create economic mobility for yourself and to be able to go from like one class to another, make more money, make less money, move into a nicer house, move into a different neighborhood, different area of town, whatever that looks like for you. Yeah. That's interesting what you said, you know, it is, um, there's that combination He's a happen. And so often we think of like capitalism and heart base to be two different things. But the, the reality is, is actually, you know, heart-based cultures and heart-based leadership lead to profits. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, That's something people don't realize. Yeah, the social um, social responsibility obviously is becoming increasingly important with a lot of these big companies nowadays. Um, and people don't realize the goodwill that comes with that. We th- we hear goodwill and we're like, oh, you mean that store where I like drop off all my clothes? No, no, no. no. Goodwill yeah. sitting on your income statement or balance sheet that yeah. is helping to intrinsically grow the value of your business. Um, and yeah. that happens through social responsibility, through you know being a part of a campaign or contributing to a local organization or sponsoring a 5k run like it's a big part of how these companies start to build rapport to create lifelong customers yeah it's actually not even social responsibility as much as it could be social sure. yeah. yeah yeah you're yeah, not you're wrong really from that. so siva so you've, uh, so you've dealt with throughout your career a lot of different types of clients totally yeah um, you know what are some of the trends and differences that you see between um you know, all these different uh, demographics that you dealt with. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously one of those trends is the scarcity element. Like that pops up across the board for everyone. Scarcity is real. (laughs) And being able to step into, receive, or hold space for abundance seems to be pretty counterintuitive to most humans. So (laughs) that's a given. Um, Like I said, that's definitely a theme that I can point out. Um, And there's a couple other things that are similar. Um, You know, money stories, there's a lot of similarities. So even if people... I talk to a lot of people who come from middle-class families and they still feel like pressured to save. They still feel pressured to like spend less and be frugal. Um, So that's definitely something that's a pretty common theme. I think that just the personal finance model as a whole, um, you know, no shade to Warren Buffett and to, you know, his clan of millions of people that are obsessed with him. Uh, I I mean, I think that his frameworks hold some merit, but I also think there's obviously some areas for growth. Like for example, the ideology in the personal finance world that we have to just like pinch pennies and be as frugal as humanly possible. And then that's how we're going to get rich, like the latte factor and stuff like that. Like, yeah, that's great. Don't get me wrong. If you take three to four dollars every day and you put it into an investment account, you're going to have a ton more money. Um, but that's the piece. It's not just that you saved three or four dollars a day. It's that you got it working for you. It's that you actually took that money and you invested it in the market. You invested it in a business. You invested it in a real estate. You invested it in a venture opportunity. You invested it in someone else's business as a silent investor, so that you could see a return on that money. That's what's going to build real wealth for you. It's the actual like. It's two things combined. Number one, it's the earning power. So your earning power over the course of your life. 
So for example, especially if you're younger, you have a huge earning power. If you saw how much money you're going to make over your life, you wouldn't even believe the numbers. Millions of dollars easily. That's like regular income, $30,000, $50,000 a year, millions of dollars over the course of your life. Um, if you take those millions of dollars or even 10% of those millions of dollars, um, not to harp too much on retirement because yes, we're using retirement vehicles and yes, ret retirement is a part of the equation, but I'm thinking of it more to build wealth, not just to retire. Um, but you can use it however you want. Uh, but essentially, if we think about even 10% of that being set aside and investing that money um, over the course of 30, 40 years, that's money's going to grow to 30 million, 40 million dollars, depending on how much you're putting away and how frequently. Um, rather than if I just saved the couple hundred dollars a month, I'm going to have maybe 500,000 in 30, 40 years. So again, like it's not just the saving piece. And that's like a big part of what's missing in a lot of the personal finance models out there. And just like the culture and like kind of the debt-free community, if you've seen any of that in the online space is it's a lot about saving and being frugal. And it's not so much about getting your money working for you. And it's not so much about actually increasing our earning potential. And that's yeah. key through leveling, through investing in coaches and consultants and leveling up our business. That's how we increase our earning potential. Yeah. You know, you really don't save um, your way to prosperity. No, definitely not. You can save your way to security, you can. but if you have prosperity, then you have both. Yeah. You have security and then you also have abundance. You have overflow. Yeah. But you can save a lot of zero and still not have that much. Yeah. Totally yeah, agree. So, so, yeah. Enjoy your lattes, people. <laughs> let's focus more on like, let's have a coffee and meet with a business partner that we're going to strategize on growing more income and then not care about the three or $4 coffee that we spent rather than just buying coffee and sitting around on our butts and like scrolling on socials. Not yeah. that I'm not happy for you because it might be how you found this podcast and then you're listening to it now. <laughs> so right place, right time. Um, so clearly something's lining up. Um, but at the same time, you know, like actually taking these strategies that we're talking about today and really putting them into action and putting them into practice, that's going to be key to transformation and growth. That's going to be what's going to build wealth, not just listening to a podcast or scrolling. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's, that's one of the biggest pieces of, of advice that I have for small business owners is, you know, don't be afraid to spend the money. To True. Get to and you action know? creates clarity. People are like, I got to have all the answers to wait to know that it'll be the right time to hire someone. But that makes no sense because how are you going to find the answers if you're not hiring someone that helps you get, get the answers? Um, but essentially, yeah, like you, there is a, like a leap of faith that's necessary for you to kind of make that trust fall or that trust jump where you go from like, I'm starting out this idea and maybe it's not wildly lucrative or profitable yet, but I know that it can be, I know that it has potential to be. And if I make these strategic key investments, then it will be. So yeah. you're really investing in not only your business, but ultimately your own success, your own growth and your own prosperity, like you mentioned. Yeah. You know, you kind of have to imagine a business you want to become and behave that way today. Yeah. I love that. I'd like, I've never used that ideology with business, but I use that with person all the time. So for example, like one of the reframes that I offer some of my one-to-one -one clients is whenever they're thinking about like next level or like earning more money. Cause a lot of times, a lot of, especially women, there are a lot of things around self-worth and confidence that come up as they're scaling their businesses where they're like, am I even like, can I have money like this? Is this even okay? Like guilt and all these other things that come up, guilt, shame. Um, and essentially one of the reframes I offer them is like, if you want to make more money and you want to be wealthier, like what would that wealthier version of yourself do? And just start doing that now. Start yes. making those decisions now. So I love that you mentioned that reframe. It's something that I, I utilize as well. I haven't heard it from the business context, but I like that. I'll have to use that and then give you credits. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. I'm, I'm going to steal uh, action leads to clarity too. Yes, please. I love that. I don't know where I got that originally, but I've heard that through the grapevine, but you're more than welcome <laughs> to use it. <laughs> hey, the more, the more shared, the more, uh, the more people believe it and the more Absolutely. people are going to help you successful. Yeah, so definitely, definitely into that. Well, it's been a great conversation. Do you have uh, any kind of parting, um, parting wisdom? Sure. Um, 
you know, if you guys want to follow up and ask me any specific questions, definitely connect with me on social media. Check out my website. Um, it's Lawless Balance on social media, L-A-W-L-E-S-S-B-A-L-A-N-C-E. I'm sure they'll put something in the show notes below for you guys. Um, but essentially, yeah, you can connect with me on social. I'm usually hanging out on Instagram. Feel free to DM me. Like I'm don't think like, Oh, she's got a ton of followers and she's famous. Like I can't talk to her. No, like I'm a normal person just like you. I put on my pants <laughs> one leg at a time every day. Um, and you know, I, like I said, Instagram is my preferred social media platform. Do not message me on Facebook, Twitter, any of that stuff. I don't check it to be honest. My team checks it sometimes, but I don't, but if you send me an email or if you hit me up on Instagram, I personally will see it. Um, if you have any personal like questions or stuff, uh, if you guys want to check out like other trainings or resources, I have some pretty cool stuff that's totally free for you guys to access. Um, if you go to my website, lawlessbalance.com slash resources, there's some amazing stuff there. Um, manifest wealth meditation. I've got some other, you know, opportunities, programs, courses, stuff like that coming up. If you're interested in learning more about how I work together. Uh, and then I also, there's a link there for the book that you can check out ebook or the print copy. If you want to snag that, it makes not only a great you know, thing for yourself if you're ready to start dabbling, but you're not ready to make a huge investment. It's also a great gift. If you know someone who is consistently struggling on the financial side, especially as an entrepreneur, it's just a really awesome gift to give them. Um, and you don't have to feel weird about it. Just be like, Hey, I found this really cool author who I was listening to this podcast about. And she said that I should gift her book and I wanted to bless you. Um, it doesn't have to be weird. Then it doesn't have to become personal. It's not like a personal attack on their character. <laughs> I know people get weird about the money combo. Sometimes it's a little stigmatized in our society, but this is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to get outside of your comfort zone and really just share the wealth unintended. Um, and I also have a really cool resource for entrepreneurs that are just starting out. If you are, especially if you're in the service-based industry, so if you're a coach or a consultant, I have a really cool resource that's called the Financial Snapshot Toolkit. And it's essentially like a one-page document that shows all of your most important financial metrics in your business, like right away, just at a quick glance. And then if you go into some of the other tabs, you can do like quarterly and annual like breakdown as well. Um, but essentially it's just a one-stop shop for you to see like the most five to seven important metrics that are guiding your business income so that you can really double down on that. Obviously what you measure grows. Um, so if we're not tracking our finances, then we're not going to have as clear of an idea of the trajectory of the business. But if we are really tracking those numbers, then it's going to grow. Um, so yeah, like I said, if anybody needs access to that resource, you can go to lawlessbalance.com slash resources and get access to that. It's the financial snapshot toolkit. Uh, I definitely recommend checking that out. Let me know what you think. Uh, we're constantly you know, coming out with new stuff and improving. So definitely just kind of keep an eye out if you want to stay connected with us on social. And yeah, I appreciate you having me. If there's anything else that you want me to share, we need to touch on, I'll be happy to revisit. Yeah, excellent. Uh, yeah, we'll hook all that up in the show notes. Awesome. Um, Thank you so much. They, they didn't have to take, you don't have to take good notes. <laughs> Appreciate you taking the time today. I think uh, very helpful and uh, I'm hoping the audience will get a lot out of this. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Wade. Thank you. 